I don't know about you guys, but you know, sometimes when I stretch out or when I do something that I'm not used to normally doing, I get a little sore. Has anybody ever done anything that's caused a little soreness? You've moved some boxes, you've done something that's a little out of the ordinary, and all of a sudden there is a muscle in your body that you did not realize that you had, okay? But it will remind you for the next several days that it is there. And you know, I've been praying. I said, Lord, you know, as we've been going through the spiritual and uh, exercise and diet, that if there is something in our life that the Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal, that it will be very similar to that soreness, that sore muscle that is being exercised. And that is a reminder that I need to start using that more in my life because the more you use a certain muscle... Well, you can't tell from me, but the more you use a certain muscle, the stronger and more defined it gets. Correct? Yeah, look at those. Yeah. I'm more on the diet side, you know, but right now we're talking about the diet and exercise. In today's message, I want to talk to you about love, exercising love in our society. Of course, this is Valentine's Day weekend, right? I read some statistics before I even started. I got to tell you, this, this just blew my mind. Valentine's Day, we sell one billion cards for this holiday. It's only second to Christmas where we sell 2.6 billion cards. Here's the, the statistic that threw me off. You can look this up online. 85% of Valentine cards are purchased by women. Now, I would have failed that if that was on a quiz. You know, I'd have probably picked, obviously I would have thought it was 50-50, you know. The men buy cards, the women buy cards. 85% were purchased by women? Hmm. That was just an interesting statistic that I wanted to mention to you. Before I get into today's message, I have a story that I've got to tell you. And I've, I told you this story about a year ago, but I love this story. I, I, it is just, it's so relevant in so many ways. But you know, up in the uh, Ozarks, there is a, uh, a passion play. And uh, they hire a lot of the local townspeople to be the characters for this passion play that runs. And a lot of tourists come in and see this. Well, one night when Jesus was carrying his cross in the play, there was a heckler that started heckling Jesus. And Jesus started looking out of the audience and started making eye contact and that just fueled more heckling that was to be taking place between the heckler and Jesus. And the heckler kept going on and on and on about Jesus' acting ability and position and everything. And finally, Jesus comes running off the stage and just decks the guy right there in the post. Well, the director is about to have a cow, you know. My Jesus just jumped off the stage and hit a, a heckler. The second night, you're not going to believe what happened. The heckler came back. And started heckling Jesus more. And Jesus is looking, and, and the director's watching Jesus, and the director's uh, Jesus' fist is clenching. Once again, Jesus has enough. He runs off the stage and gets into a pushing match with his heckler. So obviously there's a conversation between the director and Jesus. And he said, look, I've got to fire you. And, and Jesus says, no, I really need this job. Please give me a chance. I promise I, I'll, I'll be on my best behavior. Lo and behold, third night, Heckler's there. Jesus is there. Heckling starts. Jesus is just looking at the heckler, clenching his teeth, holding his fist. 
And finally the heckler says one thing and Jesus just stops, looks out the audience, points at the heckler and says, I'll meet you after resurrection. <laughs> now technically he didn't run off the stage. And, but you know, I'm glad that the Jesus that I serve didn't have that kind of an attitude when the Romans were beating and crucifying him. That's saying, you know what, in three days I'm going to be back, buddy, and I'm remembering your face, and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours, and you running away, yeah, you too. Jesus did not have that type of an attitude when he was being crucified on a cross. And that is the love, the love that Christ gave. And today that's what I'd like to talk to you about. Because as Christians, you realize that we carry the name of Christ with us. Do you realize that? I try to talk to my kids about the power of a good name. But we represent Christ when we identify ourselves as born-again Christians. And believe it or not, maybe not in your world, but people are going to cross your path. And they're going to start heckling you. And they're going to start criticizing you. And they're going to try to start tearing you down. And especially when they know that you're a born-again Christian, they're going to start attacking every area of your life that they can. And this is the time when we have to decide, are we going to be like Christ, or are we going to be like the world? And God has spoken to us in, our world, in our, His Word that we are to exercise love in all relationships. To exercise love in all relationships with one another. Ephesians 4.2 tells us this, Be humble and gentle in every way. Be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. Then in Hebrews 12.14 it tells us this, Try to live peacefully with everyone and try to live holy lives, because if you don't, you will not see the Lord. Now these two scriptures are very similar in that what it's telling us is that we even though it may be difficult, we must live in love and harmony with people because we reflect the love of Christ. This week being Valentine's, tomorrow, gentlemen, if you haven't done anything, this week being Valentine's is really a great week for you to study one of the best love chapters in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And today I'd like to just spend some time on the first three verses. I only have two points in this message. My first point has some sub-points, but just two messages, two points. First is the importance of exercising love. If you're taking notes, the importance of exercising love. And let's look at what 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 says. I may speak in the languages of humans and of angels, but if I don't have love, I am a loud gong or a clashing cymbal. I may have the gift to speak what God has revealed and may understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. I may even have enough faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. I may even be able to give away all that I have and give up my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, none of these things will help me. Paul is writing this to say, this passage right here, Love is more important than five things that most Christians think are paramount to our relationship as a Christian. First sub-point is that Paul is saying that love is more important than spiritual gifts. Because he said, I may speak in the languages of humans and of angels, but if I don't have love, I am a loud gong or clashing cymbal. Now what does this mean? Because as you're reading, remember I'm telling you to start studying the Word of God. When something you don't understand, start looking it up. 
And what you find is that in the first century, the pagan temples used to have a, a big gong right as you entered into the building. And as you were to go to pray to these pagan gongs, you were to hit that gong to make a loud sound to wake up that pagan god. You had to wake up God so that He would hear your prayers. Now, I'm glad that my God never sleeps or slumbers. He is 24-7, 365, for as many years as He has given me on this earth. And what Paul is saying is that if I do all of this, and I don't have love as my motivation behind it, I'm as silly as those people going over there doing a useless gong to a useless God who's not hearing their prayers anyways. And today in society, let me back up, today in the church, there is a lack of love. And but yet we love all the things that's being talked about. Our spiritual gifts. Man, we love to give this and this and, and to be recognized for what we've done. But what he's saying is that if we don't have love as the motive, then we're nothing. Nothing. It doesn't say that we'll be lower than others. It says that we're nothing. Have you ever been nothing in your life? I mean, really think about that. Have you ever been nothing? Now, I've asked God to clean everything out of me. But there's still something in me. But he's saying that if I don't have love, I am nothing. So it's important that we understand. My second point is that Paul is saying that love is more important than knowledge. I may have the gift to speak what God has revealed and may understand all mysteries. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Paul says even if you're a know-it-all, you know everything about psychology, theology, nuclear science... You are just the Google of walking beings, okay? And you have no love, you are nothing. And that's what we see a lot in the world today. We see a lot of knowledge, we know what the Word is saying, but we're not seeing the love behind that knowledge. Man, we love to read books, but are we putting anything into action after we read the book? We've got now iBooks and eBooks and every kind of book, and you can have a book everywhere you want. But if we are not, the Word of God says, don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. Doers means there's going to be some action behind our hearing. So God doesn't care what ology that we know. He is the author of all knowledge. So do you think we're going to impress God with how many titles we get? Now, I am for education. In fact, my degree is in secondary education. I love education. But what gets me is this. Whenever you start reading reports, and they start talking about why we as a culture do horrible things to each other, it always goes back to, we need more education. That's their result. That's what they're always saying. We need more education. We need more education because if we're more educated, we won't do these brutal things to each other. And I don't know if I fully agree with that because 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Paul's telling us, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge makes people arrogant, but love builds them up. Man, I've been around some arrogant, knowledgeable people. Okay? Knowledge is not going to save your soul. Do you understand? Now, it's knowledge of a Savior, but it's not something that we can obtain. You cannot get a degree to go to heaven. If anybody tries to offer you a certificate, says, buy the certificate, and you will get into heaven, you're going to be sorely disappointed. It'll be too late before you get a refund, but you'll be solely disappointed. Get it? Solely. Never mind. 
I don't know if you... Did you all drink coffee this morning? Come on. We need more love before our society is going to change. We need more love. I got one, that's right. We need more love in our society before we're going to see change. And God is love. When I'm saying love, I'm saying God. So you can interchange those two words. And what I'm saying is we need more God into our society. You see, because God is the definition of love. In my Bible, everywhere you see love, think God. So it's important. Yes, education is important, but it will not solve our society. Only love, mercy, grace, those are the fruits of love. Do you realize that? That mercy and grace are fruits of love. Because it is very difficult to be merciful to someone you truly hate. You have to love them and say, I am looking past this situation. It's because the love that I have for you, in my own human strength, and I'm extending grace and mercy here. But God is love, and that's why His mercy is new every morning. Thirdly, Paul says that love is more important than faith. Now, before anybody falls out of their chair here, let's look at what the Word of God says. He says that it's more important because even if I have enough faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Now, the Word of God also tells me that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Man, I love being full of faith. I love moving mountains. In fact, when Dino led us in song today, I always personalize it. And I say, Savior, you can move my mountains. And there are great and mighty things that I am believing for. There are great and mighty things that I've seen God do. But if I do not have love as my motivation, God is saying, you are nothing, Mark. You are nothing because you're not grasping why I sent my son. You're grasping all of the knowledge, but you're not grasping the passion and the reason behind why I gave the darling of heaven to you. It's saying that it doesn't matter what we believe. You can believe that God created the heavens and the earth. You can believe that God sent his son to live a sinless life on this earth and that he was crucified and that he died and rose again and ascended into heaven. You can believe that. You can also believe that He's coming back again. And you can believe that the Holy Spirit was given to us in Acts uh, 2 to help us and strengthen us. You can check all these off of your list, but it's saying if you don't have love, you are nothing. We can't even in the denominations get straight on what we believe. Well, we believe this and we believe that. We believe we should meet here. We believe we should meet there. This is this. This is that. There's so much confusion in that. Why are we talking about what God really wanted us to talk about? Loving and accepting one another. And loving them enough that you don't want them to die and go to hell. I asked this question several months ago. How badly must you hate somebody to not witness to them, to want them to go to hell? How badly? When you pick and choose who you want to give your testimony to. When you decide that all these people are just failures and that they're, they're not really worth dying for. Wow. Little God, maybe you might get a chair one day. But you know what? That's not what the Word of God tells us. We are to be salt and light all the time. Not just on days that you're off. Not the days when you're in your car. Not when you're driving your spouse's car and you have a Lake House Church bumper sticker. Are you supposed to be God that day? No, we're supposed to be the light of the great Savior in our lives at all times. And it's through love that we're doing that. Love. This is what Paul is talking about in this very powerful passage. 
Galatians 5, 6 tells us this. But what matters is a faith that expresses itself through love. Now, if we look at one of the great stories, the Good Samaritan, we see that the first two that passed by this victim was a priest and a Levi. They knew the law. They had all the ologies behind their names. Okay? But they were not walking in love. You see, they were so busy with their religious activities that they could not take the time to get involved into somebody who had a need. So that's what I'm saying. We can have all the latest teachings, and man, we can be pumped up with all the Word, and we're not recognizing the people that are laying alongside the road that God has created us to walk beside so that we can be a factor to them. We're just waiting for that next book to get released, or that new worship CD, so we can just walk in heaven all day long. Maybe God wants you to walk on this earth so that you can see some of the needs of the people. Thank you for those two amens. Mm -mm -mm. Okay, fourthly, love is more important than generosity. Verse 3 says, I may even give away all that I have, but I don't have love. None of these things will help me. Now, did you notice that Paul didn't say, I may give 10% of everything that I have? He said, all. All. Have you ever given all to anything? I mean, really do a retrospect of your life and say, have I ever given it all of me into this? Obviously not our finances, because, well, we, you know, we've got mortgages and car payments and this and 401k and... But have we ever given all? See, it's the motive behind your giving. You know, I've had some first-time guests ask me, Pastor Mark, why don't you pass the offering plate? And I'll tell them, we have a box over there. You see, what happens is when you give, and sometimes, and I'm, I, was, I, I did this in the past, I gave when I was sitting in the pew just to impress the people beside me. Oh, I need to put something in this. I need to show that I'm charitable. There was no motive behind that whatsoever. Do you understand? But when you are in secret and you can go and say, God, this is, this is my, my form of my worship. This, this represents 10% of what I, I received. I want it to be 20% God. I want it to be 30% God. But here it is, and this is a form of worship. You see, to me, and the giving is a reverse communion of what we just did. Because your paycheck represents what you did all week long. Do you realize that? If you work, you get paid. If you don't, I'd like to have your job where you don't have to work and you still get paid. But see, in my job that I have Monday through Friday, if I don't work, if I don't sell, if I don't close deals, guess what happens? I don't get paid. But when I do... I say, God, this reflects 10% of, of me and I'm giving it to you first. It is the love, the faith, the trust that puts everything into motion. I don't give because I have to. We don't mail you envelopes with an invoice saying, you are behind two months on your giving. See, that is totally the wrong motive. I would ha- rather have people who are giving because they love God and believe in the vision of this ministry than those that are just feeling obligated and there's no blessing associated to it. Do you understand? 
Last year was a very difficult year for our church financially. You never heard me speak of it here because I believe that God is our source and our strength and I pray that God would bless your businesses, that God would move in your hearts. But if I stand up and I give you a 30-minute sob story of why you need to give and if you don't give, these brand new little spotlights won't light up next week, there is no blessing in that whatsoever because you gave out of the wrong motive. Do you understand? And we have gotten very good in ministry of drawing people to give for the wrong motives. You cannot buy a healing. You cannot buy a move of God. You cannot buy the favor of God. All of these were free gifts when Jesus Christ died on a cross for us. It's just we need to get more into the Word and less into our TV. And when we get into the Word of God and start understanding what the Word of God is, we have all of the promises. They are yes and amen. Amen. You need healing. As I said, take communion wafers. We'll give you communion wafers and start spending time in the Word of God and declaring that by Jesus' stripes I am healed. That should be your confession. If you're needing a breakthrough in your finances, I'm going to tell you this is going to shock you. Give. Oh, no, I thought you were going to tell me I could have the rest of the year off. No, I'm going to tell you to give because anything that you are lacking where you give, you will grow. If you are having trouble loving, I'm going to tell you to love more. You are not going to get a kitchen pass from me on any of these topics because what you are lacking is what you need to start sowing. If I am a farmer and I'm throwing seed in the ground and all of a sudden I recognize I don't have any oranges growing. I don't have any orange trees. Guess why? I sowed no orange tree seeds. So the farmer doesn't shake his head and say, man, I don't know why I got this. It's because that's what I sowed is what I'm going to reap. Do you see that? So when I sow mercy, I'm going to reap mercy. When I'm sowing love, I'm going to reap love. And when I am generous, God is going to say, there is a sprinkler that I can give, and I'm going to open up the floodgates and let Him pour out the blessings. Because when you are standing in line and the Holy Spirit tells you to buy some of these groceries behind you, you've got to know that's God, because that's not us. Do you understand? You want to be the person behind that gets the blessing, but we rarely want to be the blessor. See, we are not blessed to keep. We are blessed to give. None of this is in my notes, okay? (laughs) So I'm just telling you, that is why God blesses us. As I've said, Kristen is probably the most merciful person that I've ever, ever, ever met in my whole life. And she has sown so much mercy. And I see her receive so much mercy. Because that is what she has sown her whole life. So it's more important than generosity. That's why God looks at our heart. Man looks on the outward. If you want to give on the outward, you received your benefit right then and there. When you walk in the door and you got one of those $5,000 Ed McMahon checks that are this big and you want to make sure everybody saw what you're giving, you just now received all your credit. But I'll tell you what, when you do that in secret, God says, you know what, I'm going to multiply this. I'm going to multiply what I'm doing with this person's life. I told you, I very rarely give on money. Money is very important. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will also move in our lives, that we know wrong reasons and right reasons, wrong motives, and right motives. We give because God has given us so much. Also, Paul says that love is more important than accomplishments. In verse 3, it says, And if I give up my body to be burned, 
And what he's talking about is being so faithful, so committed to God that you end up dying for your faith. Let me ask you, how deep is your commitment? Are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? Like that young girl in the Columbine High School that when a gun was pointed at her head and she could either deny Christ or accept Him, knowing the outcome of what He's already done, what would your response be when it comes to that moment, your relationship, your commitment to Christ? But what He's saying though is that even if you have that much passion and you're at the church every time the doors open, you're there to help every time we need help, you're going through the actions, and you have no love, then you are nothing. And I'll tell you what, it is so easy to get into the, the momentum of just the work of the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, we burn people out because of the work of the Lord. When the motive is not there to say, God, I'm serving I'm serving you because, you know, I told you there was a time when growing up that I really had no money. And I talked to my mom and dad and I said, you know, what do I do? And dad said, and this was, I was between jobs and no income was coming in and I'd always been raised to be a giver. And my dad said, go serve, go volunteer at the church, go give your time. I said, okay, God, I, I, I don't have, like, I was like Paul, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, here I am. And I went and I volunteered. And I was setting up chairs and doing things. Because it was so important that I continue to be a giver. I was not not going to allow my circumstances to affect who I was. And that's what happens so many times. We allow circumstances to define our actions. Well, you know what, Pastor Mark? When this happens, then I'll do that. And when this happens, I'll do that. You know, maybe if they start offering donuts, then I'll come to the marriage class. Those are all the wrong motives. Man, I sat in that class for a little while and I learned something today. And I come from a long line of married people. Okay? We all have something that we can learn. Man, that class should be packed. Those who are wanting to know about marriage, come. You might find somebody in there you want to marry. But if you're single, come. And if it takes donuts, maybe the first week, yeah, I'll personally buy the donuts. But then I want you to come for the right reasons and not because of the wrong reasons. And that's what he's saying about all of the actions. All of the things that we build church on today. And it's so interesting. We talk about church. How's your church? You know the first question everybody, how's your church? How big's your church? And I'm, I'm going to just start saying as big as God wants it to be. You see, I'm going to tell you, there is such a competition in the body of Christ today. Oh, hey, we had a thousand there the first Sunday. You know what? You didn't hear about the 900 that left the other church and came over to yours. That is not building the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to brag, say, you know what? We went out and for five days straight, we prayed fast, evangelized, and we brought 900 people that didn't know Christ at all, and they were our first service. Then God says, that's something that I can bless. But there is such a competitive nature in churches today. Well, what's going on in your church? What's happening? How many people? You know what? I tell them, God told me to grow them deep, not wide. We have enough wide, shallow churches in America. You know what? And right now, we may be a babbling little brook, but I want that thing to be hundreds of feet deep. That when you go through a struggle, you go through a situation, you know the Word of God. You know the Scripture you need to stand on. You have people that are praying with you. People that are sincerely loving you. 
Love is what they will feel when they walk onto this property. Judgment is what they'll sense. Love is what they're going to feel. They are not going to sense judgment in this place. They're going to feel love and acceptance. There are times I cannot love what they're doing, but I love the person. See, we've taken that. Oh, we just must love everyone. No, we must not love everyone and what they're doing. If they are in sin, we don't bring that into the body and accept it. We, we, we try to talk with them and show them how it will be better for them to change. But we just don't accept it. And Paul was very clear about that. Paul was very clear when he was talking about that there was a gentleman in the church that was sleeping with his father's wife. Sick, people. Sick. Even back then it was sick. You see, what happens is this. Believe it or not, this, this has been used, okay? This has been used to justify sin. I left my wife and I married this person because I love her. And God is love, so God is in this. And I'm thinking, where do I start? You know, this is like a huge, huge thing. Where do you even start with this? But you see how we will try to justify, we bring a little scripture here and we try to justify sin in our lives so that we'll feel better and we have this pious excuse when anybody says, hey, where's your first wife? Oh, no, this is love over here. I'll get back to my notes, guys. Don't worry. Because I know these scriptures are those. Okay. My second point today is the exercise of love in our everyday lives. John 13, verses 34 and 35 tells us this. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Verse 35. Everyone will know that you are my disciples because of your love for each other. Now you notice that Jesus is not saying that, that this is a suggestion. He's saying that this is a commandment. You know, I work for a manager. He's in South Carolina. And when he tells me to do something, it's not open for suggestion and debate. Do you understand that? Try that at your workplace and you'll be looking for a new job. Because there are some times where this is something that has to be done by a certain time. Oh, I thought you were just kidding about that deadline. No! Are you serious? Really? And when God gives us a commandment, why are we treating it like a suggestion? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to love people. Ouch, there's that muscle that Mark was talking about that just got stretched a little on Sunday. God never commands us to do something that He does not enable us to do. The world teaches that we can fall in love like you fall into a ditch. Or you can fall out of love like you fall out of a tree. You can't help it. It's just something that happens to you. We have Elvis Presley to give thanks to for saying, but I can't help falling in love with you. Now, I would have sang it, but after John said that last week, I was just totally shocked. So I'm just going to say it, okay? (laughs) And then the Isley brothers. The Isley brothers came and said, you've lost that loving feeling. Well, where'd you put it, okay? Because if you wanted them that badly, okay, you should have seen everything that I did to win Kristen's heart. I was pretty creative. I tried to be. And I was very persistent. 
There was a lot of competition in our youth group, okay? It was a dog-eat-dog place, you know what I mean? And when a beautiful girl like that came in, you were elbowing around. You know, I actually bumped into her at the kitchen at our pastor's house. There was no accidental on that, okay? I knew exactly where she was. I knew exactly where I was. And we bumped into each other. But the thing of it is, is if I work that hard to gain her love, why don't I work that hard to keep her love? She is not furniture in my house. And I don't change my furniture when I just have a whim. This is a vow, as you said today, a vow, a commitment, a commitment that I made before God. The greatest song that I think was uh, from the 80s. It says, Hello, I love you, please tell me your name. Now that was really deep stuff. If you want to Google that one, okay? See, we, we many times misjudge lust and love. Okay? And man, we know lust and we think it's love and it is not love. You see? Because when things start going not the way that we think it should in our perfect world, lust will run out the window. Love says, I'm here, just fight for me. So it's important that we understand that we don't fall into love like a ditch. We don't fall out of love like we fall out of a tree. We work at love. And it's because God said for us to love that we can do it. It's something that we can control. So you have to understand this. I can choose and will myself to love you. You can choose and will yourself to love me. No matter what happens, no matter if I sit in your chair, park in your space, run over your dog, you can choose to still love me. See, because when we start getting out of conditional things, all right, love is unconditional. God is not conditional in our love for us. He never said, if you can obtain this level, then I will elevate you to this level. My word says that while I was still yet a sinner, while I was still trash in the gutter, He died for me. The Holy Spirit came into me and said, Mark, you can get out of this gutter. The sewage that you're living in. How much longer do you want to swim in the sewer? That's unconditional love. We can will ourselves to love each other. Philippians 2 verses 4 and 5 tells us this. Don't be concerned only about your interest, but also be concerned about the interest of others. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So in other words, to love in the same way that Jesus loved us. You see, if you only think and focus on yourself, you will become selfish. But when you start thinking and focusing yourself on others, you become unselfish. We, without Christ, are born selfish creatures. Seriously. I mean, you put two toddlers in a room, put one cookie, and you will see selfishness. One toy. We don't have to teach them this. 
Toddlers will do this, right? Put three toddlers in, it's going to get better than pay-per-view. Three toddlers, one toy, okay? Now it's starting to click in something. Yeah, you know what, maybe... Maybe no was the reason why it was the first word. Because no, I'm not going to do that. I want you to eat your vegetables. No, I don't want to do this. See, we're not born saved. We're born in this world. But it's when Christ comes in us and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with us, I can say to you, John, why don't you eat that cookie? That wonderful, delicious chocolate chip cookie that I haven't had in three weeks. But please, I want you to have it. See, that has to be God, okay? Because, man, I want that cookie. Do you understand? Sometimes I have to break things very simply, but it identifies with something. And all of a sudden you start realizing we must be focusing on others. Romans 12, verses 20 and 21 says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And if you do this, you will make him feel guilty and ashamed. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Amen. That's a powerful passage right there. I'm going to close today reading you a story. It moved my heart. And it was about a missionary called Doug Nichols. And Doug Nichols, back in the late 1960s, went to India to become a missionary. God just put it on his heart to go to India. So he brought all of the books and tracts that he could get, moved to India, and right after he arrived in India, before he could even learn the language, he was stricken with tuberculosis. And at that time in India, when you were diagnosed with tuberculosis, you were sent to a sanitarium. And he said that these conditions were horrible. The people were mean. There was misery and suffering and depression everywhere. And he has to be, and I'm thinking, you're, I'm thinking, God, why did you put this, this country in my heart? And I came, and I'm here now lying in a bed with tuberculosis. And I'm seeing all the suffering, and, and I'm, I'm seeing even the hellhole of India. And each night, he would lay, and at about 2 o'clock, he said, each night, he would start coughing so badly that he'd have to sit up. And he noticed that right in the bed beside him was a very elderly, frail man. And the man was one time in a ball and he was trying to roll. And he was trying to roll to get some momentum. And then he laid back and he just started crying. And the next morning when the nurses came by, noticed that the man had messed himself in his bed. And because of that, he was punished and he was even slapped by one of the nurses. He was ridiculed by the other patients. And Doug is saying, I'm laying here seeing this, and I don't even speak his language, and I know that God's called me to this land. The following night, pretty much the same scenario is happening. 2 a.m., he starts coughing. And the old man starts to, to try to ball himself together to get some momentum. But this time, Doug said, I don't know why I did this. I went over and I just picked him up. And he said, I carried him, and he said he was like nothing. He, there, was no, there was very little meat on his bones. And he carried this elderly man to this room where it just basically was a hole in the floor. And he said, I stood behind this man and I held him while he took care of what he had to do. And as he brought him back and he laid him in the bed, this man grabbed his neck and brought Doug down and kissed him on the cheek. It was the only way he could communicate. And Doug went back to sleep. 
And the next morning when he woke up, his bed was surrounded by the patients. And they started asking for the books and the tracts. And he said that within several weeks, doctors and nurses and patients all received Jesus Christ. Not because of the sermon that he preached, but because of the love that he extended. You see, it's not going to be glorious sometimes picking these people up and helping them through. And it's not going to be clean and it's not going to be sanitary. But I want to tell you this, for us to be the body of Christ, exercising love is not an option. It is not an option. And it's not something that we can pick and choose when we want to do it. And it won't fit into your agenda. I guarantee you it will not fit into your agenda. Because the moment that God's asking you to do the greatest is when you're going to be the busiest. It may be when your finances are the lowest. It may be when you're not feeling the strongest. It may be when you're feeling like you're going through a struggle yourself and God's asking you to pour yourself out into someone else. That's when love is true love. Love is not convenient. Love is a lifestyle. Okay? And as born-again Christians, we cannot choose when we want to walk in love and when we want to run off the stage and punch the heckler. And there are going to be times when you would rather punch the heckler. But then you've got to start remembering, what would Jesus do in this situation? The real Jesus. If you have to, find some mentors in your life. What would Paul Gibbs do in this situation? What would the British do in this situation, okay? Sometimes I have to go outside my own culture, you know what I mean? Like, what would they do? God's given me such a love for them. But I want to just give you an opportunity today to make the very most important decision you've ever made in your life. Because you're hearing me talk about love and you're saying, I don't have that level of love. And you know what? In your own, you will never obtain that level of love. But when you accept Christ into your life, not only as Savior, but as Lord, and He becomes your Lord every day, not on the days you're just sober, not on the days you're not doing crack, Lord of your life every day. You say, Pastor Mark, why are you talking to me like this? You know what? We never know who's hearing this message. This message could be playing around the world tonight. And there may be somebody laying in a gutter that supposedly could be hearing this and saying, I don't have that level of love, but I want what you have. I want to have the heart that could do what Doug Nichols did as a missionary. And it's very simple by saying a very simple prayer and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The most important decision you'll ever make. Not where you'll go to college, who you'll marry, what you'll do for a living, what you'll have lunch for today. Minimal compared to the impact of what we're doing right now. I'd like to lead everybody in a very simple prayer. And if you say this prayer and you mean it, it will radically change your life. Can I have all heads bowed and all eyes closed? Would you repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
And I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen. Now, whether you said that for the first time or just said, you know what, I just needed to renew my relationship with Christ. Sometimes the way marriages renew their vows, just to remember the importance of that relationship. Then today is a new day for you. It's still a time for you to work at that relationship and say, God, how do I exercise love? How do I know you more and less than me? How can I respond like you would want me to be? And that will come through the Holy Spirit and through discipleship and spending time in the Word, spending time in worship, cutting out the junk of this world. We are bombarded all the time with the junk of this world. And sometimes you've got to just get alone with God. Go for a walk. It'll do you good. As we close today, I'd like to have everybody stand. I'd like to speak a blessing over you. If you receive the blessing every week and you wonder why I speak the blessing, maybe one of the first things that you should start researching in your Bible is the power of the blessing. If you don't understand it, don't ask me. Go look it up. As a good teacher, you'll always direct your students to, to look it up, to find it, to, to grasp it in their heart, for not to be just head knowledge. But there's power in the blessing. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. Thank you for coming today. We love you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.